to another episode of The Microbe Moment, the show that takes you down to the microscopic level to view the world just a little bit differently. I'm Tess. And I'm John. And today we're here with a couple of very special guests. Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. And I'm Sean. And yeah, we're the co-hosts of Petri Dish, another science podcast out there in the world. I think today we're going to have a really exciting bunch of stories that we're going to talk to each other about. This is really exciting because like we don't super know what everyone's researched. But broadly speaking, we wanted to talk about the medieval world and a lot of these sort of medicinal treatments that were out there related to... We wanted to punch down. (laughs) <laughs> and look yeah. at past peoples and laugh at them. Yeah, pe- laugh people at them. who might have handled pandemics and things worse than us. So yeah, yeah. That- definitely worse. <laughs> definitely worse than us. A little bit. It depends on the city. <laughs> I think like Frankfurt handled it pretty well. Like, oh. A few of them were like, close the door. <laughs> a few of them went like really full New Zealand and they were fine. You know? Yeah, well, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Mine is from England and they've been garbage. They, they, the they've time. never handled a disease well. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm really excited to get to chat with you guys about this. Yeah, we're, you, we're really excited to chat with you as well. It's interesting. It's different for me because I'm a bartender, so I'm constantly interacting with people. But, you know, Sean's, he's a scientist shut in, right? So he doesn't usually get to see other people. I try not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Us too. We don't <laughs> ever go outside. Yeah, so it's kind of exciting to interact with other, uh, you know, I mean, well, I'm not a scientist. I was going to say with other scientists. Very presumptuous of me. Well, it's exciting to see scientists interact with each other. We've done more than 100 episodes. You should be at least science-y at this point. Yeah. yeah. You're a scientist by osmosis at this point. No, I'm a scientist. Or diffusion. I'm a scientist the way, like, a choir boy is a priest. Don't like, I've heard that. the song. I don't like anything about what you've just done. <laughs> Let's not do that anymore. <laughs> In fact, I don't know what you're talking about, I, would I love don't it. like it. I would love it if you don't say choir boy and priest at all ever again, okay? Let's just not bring those to it. Okay. Anyway. This is a PG pod shot. I know. I'm just saying, all let's keep it that Dirty illusions. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Everybody calm down. Oh, my um, God. Okay. So... So, um, do the two of you want to start us out with maybe bringing us into the medieval time period or one of your guys' stories? Like, what do you have for us? Sure, yeah, I can sort of set the scene for us. So, typically when we're talking about medieval periods, we're talking about the 5th to the 15th century. It kind of falls between the Roman Empire and the Renaissance. And life expectancy during this time was only about 33 to 40 years old, but this Mm. is not because people died at this age. It's mostly because children were dying at very young ages. 30% of infants were dying before the age of five. Back in time, kids got it. Live free or die hard, brother. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right, kids back in the Rock and roll lifestyle. Rock and roll, man. Yeah. So mostly it's infant mortality that was pushing the numbers down. You can also like childbirth. Right. And there was a lot of old ass dudes. A lot of really old yeah. incels just like walking around. <laughs> okay, well, excuse me. <laughs> oh, come on, this is the medieval time. Priests weren't incels at that point. That's true, dude. <laughs> but anyway, anyway. Okay, so we're between the fall of Rome in 476 to the fall of Constantinople in 1453, right? And we're in the, the post-classical age, the medieval age. What was it like? Everyone's dying young. Oh, wait, no. We just said they weren't. (laughs) But okay. What else is it like? So we're going to predominantly talk about medicine tonight. And most of medicine actually was herbal medicine at this time. So a lot of plants, um, medicinal plants. There was surgery and a lot of bloodletting, of course. But I was actually kind of surprised to find out that everything was very holistic. Like when you had a disease, they wanted to look at your diet and they were looking at the stars and looking at your temperament to figure out how to heal you. But that was sort of an interesting way to look at at life. You don't look at it that way If you walk through Costco, what you realize is medicine has changed very little. (laughs) <laughs> and it's very depressing. You yeah, know. I mean, <laughs> especially the stars and shit like that. But yeah, you know, I also thought that was pretty interesting. That came up in my research too. You know, a, a lot of the stuff of the time period, a lot of the popular thought was around the humors from Galen and everything like that. And a lot of treatments for humor imbalances were actually dietary changes. And so I found like a lot of things were like, oh, well, you need to eat a little bit more of this and you need to drink a little bit less of that. And, you know, there were a lot of those types of things that they did. Which I feel like we're almost getting back to nowadays. 
Yeah, I do think that there is a lot more of that kind of holistic view in all kinds of medicine. I mean, I have friends that are doctors and definitely they make plenty of recommendations like stop eating so much fried chicken. But, you know, <laughs> that's yeah, probably a good one. It's so tasty. I don't listen to them. <laughs> I know. Bastards, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, go back to your ivory tower. You're kind of burned out yeah. on fried chicken, right? I'm sick of fried chicken. Yeah. Oh, wow. I've eaten too much. When I was a teacher in Korea, it's like me and the other perverts who I used to teach with would just like go and eat fried chicken like four nights a week. My perverts. And I can't, I can't eat it anymore, man. Like I'm sick of it. Why perverts? Yeah. <laughs> you ever met a guy who's chosen to live abroad in a foreign country for 12 years? <laughs> All right, guys, bad guy, yeah, dude. Fair enough. I got you. <laughs> He's I sick in the head. That. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually, I've met some of these friends. I understand now. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. So... It's funny because I think a recurring theme that at least like I'm looking forward to touching upon is how I feel like we have this notion of like in medieval times, like prior to the 1700s, right? And rise of mass literacy in prior cultures, there was a very clear codified elite culture that was kind of having its own dialectic. And then like all this mass of just like peasants, just like mm-hmm. banging witches, and doing herbs, mm-hmm. you know, and like hanging out and getting high on cannabis. And like kind of an almost more perturbing reality is just that we never really got over that. Yeah. Like literacy has primarily been used to like spread misinformation and soccer statistics. And like <laughs> in reality, we're still living in the era of emergency. Like the actual lived experience of medicine and the actual mistrust mm-hmm. of a medical elite has not actually shifted in 4,000 years. Yeah, I think that's true. But like, that's maybe a little bit of the dark take of it. What I liked when I was reading about the medieval stuff was that I found like a lot of it was actually really syncretic. Like the idea of bringing in astrology, which I don't believe in, but then like also mixing in like a lot of like- But you don't think the stars have anything to do with your health? (laughs) Mercury's in retrograde right now. They just align just right. (laughs) Which is exactly why my ACL tour is because Mercury. It's amazing by how making fun of this idea, you alienate immediately 90% of all humans. Well, (laughs) (laughs) to be fair, to be fair, I did tear my ACL on Friday the 13th. So, (laughs) well, I mean, you're you're kind of an atheist, so you kind of deserve it. (laughs) Yes, always had it coming. But yeah, you know, and then there's all of this like kind of folk medicine and herbalism and everything like that based on the kind of like an empirical study. But like that kind of shoved in with a lot of Galen humor stuff and astrology coming in, right? They all kind of mixed and matched. And you'd find like a lot of medieval kind of doctors that were writing about this stuff sort of like had this weird blend of being credulous about some things and incredulous about others. They'd be like, oh, these guys think this plant can cure everything. Right. But like, check out this one thing that can cure everything. Right. It's, it's like, like, if you want to be a medieval doctor, you kind of like, yeah, you know, the wart's not really working. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you're like, you got to throw in a little wart for the masses. It is interesting. So they'll believe you about the hand washer. I just think it's a real interesting blend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why they had barbers. People are like, I don't really believe in your medicine, but damn, you've, you give a good shave. So you're all right. <laughs> Right, right. It was like the Trojan horse for empirical sciences was shaving beards. Exactly. You know. And bleeding people. Yeah, yeah. I know the barber used to be like a one-stop shop. Like you go there, you get get bloodletting, get your hair done, and they'll pull your teeth. It's uh, everything. I have a buddy who studied to be a dentist. She was telling me about the history of dentistry, and it kind of emerges out of the barber surgeon, right? And because they were maligned by doctors as being a non-philosophical field, they kind of developed their own dentistry schools mm-hmm. um, and have been charlatans ever since. No, right. Just yeah. <laughs> That's why they're all torturers. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Have you guys ever seen uh, Little Shop of Horrors? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So I saw it very recently for the first time. I mean, I guess I saw it at like a community college a while ago and it was, I mean, it was fun. But like, I didn't see the movie. I never even liked Steve Martin. And I was like, I don't know why people like Steve Martin. And I saw the movie and I was like, I, I want to have sex with Steve Martin. And I was like, oh my God, he's so good as the dentist in this. He's so hot. That's why we're talking about this is because we said dentist. You brought up dentist. Are, are, you saying, are you saying you're Bill Murray in this situation? Oh man, I'm like his Bill Murray every time we record. I can't believe this is happening. I just, I just lie like an Austrian secession painting on the couch. Don't do this. Just like sorry, this, the the video is getting recorded. You know that, right? Unlike unlike most of the time with our podcast where people can't see the things you're doing. Actually, this is actually video recording. I'm like, diagnose me, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. Uh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Um, 
I yeah. guess you run through primary physicians pretty quickly if you're doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised how, how game most physicians are. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a boring job otherwise. It's not like house. No, but um, God, what were we talking about? Yeah, what were we talking about, Nathan? We were still talking about the medieval time period yeah. and, and everything like that and kind of what the state of affairs were. I mean... Medieval time period, because we are talking about something over the course of like about a thousand years, right? That's actually like a pretty humongous range of human development. I guess in this case, when we talk medieval time period, it's mostly Eurocentric. There's like similar-ish sort of like developmental stages in the plenty of different countries. But like this one's mainly, we're talking about European shit, right? Hey, you're a racist. Don't talk to me. All right. Like I, <laughs> You're the historian. I, I'm, I'm, I'm world-centric, dude. What? Yeah, dude. Anyway, tell me that I'm right. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not wrong. <laughs> I feel I feel like we've kind of hijacked. I mean, you were leading us on this path. So tell us more about astrology and and, and <laughs> pharmaceuticals, <laughs> all those other <laughs> sexy knickknacks I take. Oh my god! Uh, I don't think I have too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, Tess. What what do you got? You, you yeah, have shit. Else? <laughs> Please. <laughs> So I guess the only other thing I was going to say to sort of set the scene here is that it's not until the late 1600s that Antony Van Leeuwenhoek was scraping plaque off his teeth and sticking it under a homemade microscope and was declaring that he found these mini little animalcules, which we now know as bacteria. And it would be 200 years from that point that Louis Pasteur, Joseph Leister, and Robert Koch would popularize germ theories. So we're pretty far away from discovering bacteria as causal agents of disease. Right. Yes, totally agreed. A lot of disease at this point was also miasma or just bad air or the ether itself. Again, something I hear constantly from coworkers. So like, <laughs> perturbingly little's changed. <laughs> that is still like 90% of all ailments is like, ah, air's bad, you know? One thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that like when they were thinking about miasma and how to cure miasma, it was still like clean stuff up, make sure you're not dirty and that would make the right. air clean. And that's what we're doing now with hand washing and quarantining and get away from the bad smell and you won't get sick. So like with miasma, it's interesting because like sometimes the idea of bad air or something like that was like very physical. Like they'd be like, oh, Watch out for like foggy places because like the fog was like a manifestation of like that evil or something like that, mm -hmm. right? Right. And then other times it was like something much closer to like the actual physical reality, which is like, oh, something in the air around sick people can also get you sick, right? Like the, the very idea of like a contagion also existed at certain time periods. Yeah, it's really interesting how they are right, but for the completely wrong reasons, kind of. Yeah. And it depends on almost like the personality of the theorist or physician in question. Yeah. I mean, right? they some of them were humbler theory. in their assumption and was like, there's just something funny about the air around sick people. And some guys were like, it's ghosts. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yes, exactly. Like, it's yeah. like, really sure it's ghosts. Right? And then I think the last thing uh, that I was alluding to earlier is that this is a thing that covers about a thousand years of history. Right. And over that course of a thousand years, things changed all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, let's go ahead and launch into the first kind of big story where we can discuss the Black Death. Culture News. So, Stacy, do you know what champagne is? Yes. Okay, so, of course, it's a sparkling wine, right? Yes. But it's from a place, too, right? Champagne like it's, in France. Right. Like, it's, it's a wine that is named for a region, mm -hmm. right, where it comes from. Okay, so our culture news today is something that's utterly hilarious. Vladimir Putin, so the president of Russia, just signed a new law that says, to be a champagne, you must be Russian. Now, let me, let me explain that. To be labeled or sold in Russia as a champagne, you must be a Russian sparkling wine. If you are a foreign sparkling wine, you cannot be labeled champagne and sold in Russia. That means French champagne cannot be labeled champagne. To be sold in Russia, it must be called sparkling wine. What? Yeah, isn't that the funniest shit you've ever heard? What? What? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So it's driven French champagne companies crazy. <laughs> Some of them are like, we're not going to sell to Russia. Some of them have already spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on new labels. 
Wow. You want Cristal in Russia? You're not buying champagne. You're buying French sparkling wine. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, for me, begged the question, what even is Russian sparkling wine? Right. It turns out in the 1930s, Stalin, as part of, uh, you know, the Soviet egalitarianism, wanted there to be a Russian sparkling wine that the peasantry or the proletariat could actually afford. Hmm. And so he developed Champoyesky. Hmm. No, Champet. Um, Cham- Damn it, I just looked this up. Champansky. Yes, there hmm. we go. So he developed a local Champansky industry. And, you know, that developed over decades and continues to exist. And now that's the only sparkling wine that can be called champagne in Russia. Fun. Yeah, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Is that so funny? That's like such a Russia play. It's so weird. Well, here, it would be like if the only thing you could call K-pop in Russia were Russian musicians making pop music. And K-pop was called foreign pop that was mimicking k-pop <laughs> i can't tell whether it's an awesome move of trolling from vladimir Putin or just like hilarious 1984 fucking animal farm levels of crazy linguistic shit from russia of course in reality it's the same thing yeah who knows fucking vladimir Putin, man who knows well anyway russian champansky the only true champagne on culture news Right well, now. now here we are, you know, the next Canterbury tale, the husband's tale. <laughs> what art thou tale, sir? <laughs> All right, so let's get into the plague. So when we talk about the plague, we're talking about, of course, Yersinia pestis, the bacteria. Right. But when historians talk about the Black Plague, they talk about the second outbreak. There was actually three outbreaks of the plague throughout human history. The first one occurred between 547 and 544 CE and was called the Justinian pandemic after the Roman emperor. Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) That mess Constantinople up, you know, Istanbul took it. It was crazy. It was a good time for everyone. I mean, some estimates say that it wiped out half the world's population at the time. (laughs) Something's got to do it. It's metal, dude. It's like Plagopalooza. It's nuts, dude. So the second plague occurred, or it really started in 1346, and they believe Mongolia, but it didn't really hit, I believe, Europe till the year after. And what happened was a ship arrived to a Sicilian port, and soon it just like spread across Europe, causing up to 200 million deaths worldwide. Didn't they try to quarantine that ship and like send them back to sea? But it was too late and already spread all over the place, and those people had to die out on sea anyways? Yeah, I think so. I had heard some kind of thing like the Mongols were sieging a port town. Yeah, it was the port of Kaffa yeah. on the Black Sea that was owned by Genoa. Exactly. And I think yeah. they ran off to the Sicilian port and I think the Mongols were catapulting bodies over a wall that had plague. Which well. might be the first bioterrorist attack. Say what you want about the Mongols. They were smart. Well, smart guys. Dude. They nailed it. Innovators. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They invented bioterrorism. My mom, uh, our mom, we're from the same mother. My, our, our mom <laughs> no um, and, and father, for that matter. That's how, that's how brothers work? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, sometimes it's fictive, kid. You need to tell this story <laughs> no, no, our, uh, well, well, just our mom, she read this whole book, this, like, hagiography of Genghis Khan. And she was like, you know, in Western narratives, Nathan, they say Genghis is bad guy, but actually he made many roots. And it's like, mom, I think he killed a lot of people, too, though. She's like, yes, but also the roads helped facilitate trade. Yeah, also it's Genghis. all right semantics yeah i'm glad we got there but okay okay so so the plague gets into europe yep and as i said before it's caused by the bacteria yersinia pestis and you know people thought for a while that it was the rats that were causing the disease to come in but it's actually the flea that the bacteria travels in and so what it does is it forms this biofilm or the sticky substance in the flea specifically in their digestive tract. So it This blo- is like the most diabolical thing I've ever heard a microbe do to a host. Yeah. And so no food can get into the flea's stomach. So it gets hungry and hungry and it keeps biting Whoa. its victim and keeps biting. And eventually, you know, it has all this food that can't get down. It throws it up with the bacteria into the wound and then Whoa. just keeps biting again. 
So it literally Damn. like forces its host to starve and then eat enough until it transmits it to a new host, which I just think is Whoa. Yeah, that's smart, cool. dude. Yeah. Yeah. Plague is smart. Yeah, dude. That's very naughty. It's like Rocky. It knows what's up. I also heard that like you know, rats probably played a very major role in terms mm-hmm. of like actually getting it over into Europe. Right. But that like rodents very broadly in general are just reservoirs for plague just out there in the wild. Still today. Right, yeah, exactly. And so a lot of times it's probably not just rats. There's plenty of rodent populations in the United States just out there, ferrets and things like that. You'll hear just like an entire colony of ferrets die from yeah. the plague in like Montana or and something. And you know, whenever rats fail, humans also help spread disease. That's great, Nathan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise. So there's actually three forms of plague that you can get. You got the bubonic plague, the pneumonic, and the septic plague. The bubonic plague is the least deadly, but you still get like a 50-50% chance of dying. And the pneumonic plague being the most deadly with almost 100% fatality, depending on which resource you go with. It can vary from like anywhere from 90 to 100, but you're screwed if you don't get treatment quick enough. So the bubonic plague can take up to a week for symptoms to show. And you know the biggest is the swelling of the lymph nodes, which could be as large as a chicken egg. And yeah, and these <laughs> wow, can- disgusting. And taste just as good. Don't do that. <laughs> That's the grossest Sorry. thing I've ever heard. <laughs> do you taste it is it kind of like a pop a needle and let the pus oh, no. and, and then drink that or is it like you chop well, it off and fry it do up? you want to know how i cook it or how gordon <laughs> ramsay cooks it because uh, we don't both, agree both i'm interested in both all right well i like to throw it in a walk right as oh. i start the walk with it to kind of coat the walk and this then you get that walk hay, right <laughs> gordon ramsay says you should hard boil it that gets rid of the flavor okay wait what are you talking about? <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> But it was nice, though. It was nice. <laughs> you can't let me rant about fake things. <laughs> but okay, yeah, so we got these fat, crazy babies on your lymph nodes that are yeah. the size of chicken eggs. Yeah, the boobos. The boobos. And so, you know, those could end up oozing. You smell terrible. It says you smell terrible, but not I don't know your if number just... one problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that's just a sign of the times either for I, lack of bathing, but... Didn't everyone smell terrible? Yeah. Like that was a thing. Although in the defense of medieval times, that sounds like that also might be the thing that smells terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, washing's bad, but a giant chicken egg lymph node growth? Probably worse, right? Yeah, I would guess so. Yeah. But so we smell awful. <laughs> and, and then we're lucky to die. <laughs> yeah, quickly, hopefully. If, I mean, if it's yeah. bad. <laughs> Bubonic can become pneumonic or septic, so it can transition to the other forms too. Nice, that's yeah. pretty cool. That's and cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's cool. awesome. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and so the second form, like I mentioned, was pneumonic, and it affected the lungs, and that's when people started passing into each other through like coughing. Mm. You know, you get the symptoms of pneumonia. Also, that can transition to a septic plague, and also you start going into shock and respiratory failure and you die <laughs> right sounds reasonable damn mm-hmm. awesome that's crazy man that's cool as hell yeah. they had such cool diseases back then dude plague is still around it is no i know but like we don't have enough of it i mean not enough. <laughs> i'm just i'm just saying like it's like a little more esoteric now. I, my grandmother told me she got the plague what did she mean that or did she mean yeah. like like reefer madness? Like like which plague are we talking about? No, she meant the plague. <laughs> she, she grew up in the Midwest. Oh yeah. How I found this out is we named our dog Yersinia. And I told my grandmother, not thinking she would know what it is. And she was like, that's not funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's interesting. She's like, it's like, not interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did she get it from like a ferret? Like, like was it from some like wild rodent population or? I think a prairie dog. Ooh, a prairie dog. Prairie dogs are dangerous. Yeah, yeah dude. That's why mm-hmm. Nathan. I kill anyone I see. What? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I've never seen a prairie dog. Oh, a prairie dog. They know. I thought you meant people. <laughs> no. I thought so too for a second. I'm very social. He's <laughs> <laughs> a bartender. He sees a lot of people. <laughs> That'd be good for business. You can't kill everybody. That's a pretty good defense in court. He got the plague. <laughs> yeah. Defending myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It was the first self-defense in 1350. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great. 
Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, so did people have an appreciation of what was spreading plague and what was causing it? Like, how did that work? That's kind of where Sean was alluding to eventually is, unfortunately, the Jewish population of Europe was harassed isn't even a good term for that. They were persecuted highly. Like, they would wipe out villages because they thought that this was all, like, poisoning of wells. Right. Or... All the blood libel stuff. Yeah, exactly. But Jewish people were still getting the plague, too. And they were really just looking for a scapegoat at the time. Yeah, but that's the 4D chess Again, how much has life changed in thousands of years? You know, there's this great Russian director named Tarkovsky, and he kind of compares the process of empirical sciences versus art. And just like he has a visual metaphor of sciences as an ascending ladder, right? And as art as being circles within circles. And it just always reminds me about how we have technological progress, and as materialists, we assume that a change in the material conditions, better medicine, better lifestyle habits, better, more toilets, will also necessarily change the attitudes and behaviors of people. But the disturbing reality is that humanity, art, is all circular. That we are caught in these circular habits and these circular habits of scapegoating and these kind of circular platonic notions of health, despite the fact that our empirical methods improve. That was the most serious thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah, that's a thought. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if we have to be like, you know, like, I think that's a little fatalistic, right? Like, I think spirals can have directions and things like that, you know? Well, like, that's we, true. Like, we could be a unicorn horn, you know? We could be spiraling but moving somewhere instead of, like, having to just, like... That's true. Right? Tarkovsky was looking very two-dimensionally, but you get a third dimension in there. Yeah. Get a fourth dimension, Michio Kaku, get an eighth dimension. Whoa. Whoa. The strings me? are going all sorts of ways, You're going to Kaku me right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's great. Um, that's Excuse fantastic. me. What nonsense. Anyway. No, that was very smart, Nathan. I'm proud of you. Yeah. So, I'm it's, saying it. Well, it's, saying it's come that. up several times at this point, right? That, like, there's a lot of things that surprisingly haven't changed. Right. <laughs> Scapegoating is still so common. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have another example of that later on. Oh, jeez. Oh, Oof. <laughs> but, I mean, how does Black Death... You know, one of the things that I always was confused about when I used to teach the history of plagues in Europe to people, one of the things that I never truly understood was just why does it come in those kind of intermittent waves? Like, by 1350, you know, plague stops riveting Europe. Why doesn't it just keep spreading from town to town in small outbreaks for the rest of time or does it actually and it's just it's not so big that it matters for historical study i think throughout time there are smaller outbreaks but eventually there are big pandemics because like there was a third plague outbreak right right in Uh, what the 19th century yeah from 1889 to 1959 which was not that long ago what about like 1352 right so like 47 to 50 black death is just running through europe just savaging everybody a third of europe dies i always thought about later was like well that means two-thirds was alive too did all those guys get immunity well we know that that's not the case right because we know that pathologically the chillest form of black death kills at a 50 percent rate right Mm -hmm. and so so like that means plenty of people in europe never got it anyway so why in 1352 was black death still not an issue you know? Yeah. So, I mean, one thing I will say is that, like, because rodents ended up being kind of like a big driving force in the geographical distribution of Black Death, that, like, a lot of it actually has to do with, like, climate change and ecological issues. You hippie. No, I'm totally serious. <laughs> is that, like, oh, no, yeah, that's a good point. Is that, like, a big climate issue happening in one area where you have a lot of things like prairie dogs or stoats or something oh, like interesting. that? can drive them into like a major population center of people Uh, and then launch an epidemic of plague. And you know, this time period is an interesting one because on one hand, clearly we're more interconnected now, but 1300s, 1400s, this was an interconnected time period. The Yellow River floods in China and that sets off some kind of epidemic or something like that because it displaces a bunch of Some Mongol dude, kiss kiss over there. It was across Central Asia. Boom, we got another pandemic on our hands. Was that not where you're going? That was right, right? <laughs> that was basically. That kind of situation can set off basically the transmission of an epidemic across trade routes through the entire world, basically. Right. right? So, like, that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. sort of what were localized disasters could become global disasters. Yeah. Well, One guy fun. has 
one pangolin, and here we are. What is happening? <laughs> Do you understand what you're saying? <laughs> no, but hold on. This is good because we've talked a bunch about Black Death, but like we haven't talked about any fun medieval treatments of Black Death. Did they have oh, yeah. treatments yeah, that they yeah, would yeah, do yeah. for Black yeah. Death? Oh, yeah. like, what do we have for that? This week's episode of The Micro Moment is brought to you by Zymo Research. Accurate and reproducible microbiome analysis relies on well-defined mock community standards as well as optimized methods for sample collection, nucleic acid extraction, library prep, and bioinformatics. Check out Zymo's complete microbiome workflow at zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O-R-E-S-E. E-A-R-C-H dot com. So they had animal treatments. Nice. One of them was called the Vicari Method. <laughs> this one is really weird. So they took a quote-unquote healthy chicken and they plucked yeah they plucked the back and the butt of the chicken to have the exposed skin and they applied it to the buboes and strapped the chicken on the person what does that mean Uh, to apply a bare chicken butt to a bubo i don't know i'm imagining it It yeah i I have a pretty good idea (laughs) what we're talking about yeah i'd say you know you lift the arm where the lymph node is and just put the bald spot of the chicken right on there and strap it down god for the record Armpits are not the only place where you have buboes. Mm. Okay. No, no, no. They they happen in every crotch of your body. Right. Right. So that does mean inevitably that there were chicken butts strapped to other places of people's bodies. I'm okay. just I'm just tossing that out there. Uh, Wait, are the chickens alive? Like they yes. could peck you. They, they gotta they, be alive. They are alive. They have to be alive. They yeah. are alive. What you don't know? So they gotta be alive. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> All right, I'm also supposed to give them a plate. Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. All right. Yeah. Well, that one's. So the thought process was that chickens would draw out the disease, and when the chickens became sick, they would wash and reapply (laughs) until either one or both the patient and the chicken were dead. I feel like they would both die like pretty immediately. Like, how could this go on for long enough that people think this is gonna work? I mean, like buboes. If it's a bubo, the person isn't dying within a week. Symptoms can appear within a week, so they're sick for a while. But no one would be cured. Yeah, I mean... You know, still more benign than hydroxychloroquine, am I right? Like, shit. You know, like, there have been bad ideas that have been worse before. <laughs> These chickens, uh... At least the chicken's got a Brazilian wax. What you know? What makes the chicken sick? So if the bubo is oozing, then that's getting onto the chicken. Wow, the chicken can then... get black death? That's cool. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's heavy metal. Wait, wait, do you have to feed your chicken? Huh? Hey, yeah. Hey, that Sean, is a funny idea. Sean, do you feed the chicken? Do you have to feed the chicken strap? I'm sure you have to feed the chicken if you're going to reapply. <laughs> Interesting. Comes yeah. with a chicken care kit. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's probably, a, you know, a midwife or <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone yeah. taking care of the chicken and the patient at the same time. Yeah, you can order off of Medieval Amazon Prime. It comes with a chicken. It comes with a little starter pack, a <laughs> little feeder, you know? Well, that is that is truly strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is it. Yeah, that's an awesome idea, though. Right? Because it's like if you're gonna die a plague, you might as well have fun. You know, you might as well die laughing. You know, like that's cool. I like that. Cause like taking herbs, you're just eating gnarly crap till the grave. At least you're like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. At least it's viscerally enjoyable. (laughs) You got you got some odd feelings. I gotta say that's. This method was actually created by a doctor. Well, doctor, right? I mean, there's a Dr. Oz, you know what I mean? (laughs) He also thought battle wounds should be washed with urine as well. (laughs) Hey, whatever, dude. Urine had a lot of medicinal properties back in the day. Like, they used it for a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I know. Well, they're going to use it a lot for plagues, so... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, well, I remember watching an episode of Taboo on the History Channel, like, two decades ago, and it had a whole episode about urine. Uh Uh-huh. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like a show about different taboos and different societies. And mm-hmm. one of them was like, I mean, it was funny because it was about like societies that think urine has medicinal qualities. And I feel like they only got one Native American dude. 
who like clearly all the other guys on were like, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> but they were, but he was like, No, really though, you can drink piss and it's great for you. And I feel like the whole episode was actually just about him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because like there's not really that much of it uh-huh. in history. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. That's all right. So, okay. So, they also did this with snakes. However, they caught the snake, they cut it up, and then they put it on the buboes. This is a dead snake. Yes. This is a dead snake. This is not live snake. Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. Dead not snake, live chicken. It could get potentially more dangerous than a chicken. Yeah. So, back then, they thought that snakes were a symbol of Satan, and it would pull the disease right. out of the person because the evil would be drawn to evil. So huh. that raises the question, why would that not work the other way around? Because if they consider the disease evil, why is not the snake being absorbed into the buboes? Is it like magnetism where one magnet is stronger than the other, pulling one way or the other? Yeah, I don't know. Evil being drawn to evil doesn't really make sense to me because then like how would evil things ever run into good things? Right. Yeah, if, if we've all played the... Diablo 2. Yeah. Okay, you got to go into, <laughs> yeah, yeah, kill, yeah, kill those guys. Right. That's what you got for me? No, no, no. Really, what I actually had (laughs) was I just think it's funny. I like to think that literally because, you know, we again, we're materialists. Sometimes I like to play the thought experiment that heaven and hell are real. Okay. And I think it would be funny if like the snakes were actually like truly not just symbols of Satan, but embodiments of Satan. Uh And like by rubbing snakes on their bodies, they actually guaranteed death because the snake itself was evil. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. And so they had entirely misunderstood the logic. And in fact, were bringing death upon themselves. Yeah, well, see, I buy that a lot more in that, like, the evil and evil drawing each other out or some kind of thing sounds too homeopathic to me. I don't buy that at all. You know, like that, <laughs> right, 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 right. I think... Yeah, I, think, I believe in Christian theology, not homeopathy. You got to bring in you some know. kind of purifying <laughs> yeah. force like chicken butts or something like that. You know, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. buying... The I, snake meat I, thing I like how good. earthy chicken butt is. Yes. You know, I, it feels connected to the peasantry and to folk truths. Yeah, and to like Gaia and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, Mother Gaia, dude. Yeah. <laughs> the There's a lot of Mother butt. Gaia in chicken butt. I believe that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. And another treatment was unicorn horn. Okay, sounds believable. So yeah. I've always wondered how you get that for obvious reasons. Okay, so unicorn, it was a big scam that the rich, <laughs> I mean, obviously. I'm sad that that's the answer. <laughs> I mean, the rich would pay exorbitant prices for unicorn horns. Like Queen Elizabeth had one unicorn horn that was worth a castle. The current one? Uh, uh, no. I, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. no questions asked, dude. But you know, you had people yeah. selling them like rhino horns, but a lot of them were actually from Vikings, I believe, that caught narwhals and they were selling the narwhal horn. Yeah. Sure. Uh, let me just say that like narwhals and rhinos are easily as cool as a unicorn. And yeah. in fact, are cooler objectively, except for the fact that unicorns aren't real. Were unicorns real, narwhals would obviously be cooler. I mean, you know, honestly, that's how it should have been. It should have right. just been the thing is like, oh, the ingredient is a narwhal horn, because look at this fucking this thing in the water. Sassy it's bitch sailing, sailing in the sea. Fucking thing poking out of its head. Look <laughs> yeah. at how crazy that is. Dude, like 4,000 miles south of here in Africa, <laughs> yeah. there's this thick tank thing that's got a horn on its head. Yeah. That is easily as cool as a horse with a horn on its head. Yeah, yeah, they messed up. They yeah. messed up. They really did. Plus, by the way, Elizabeth II definitely does have a unicorn horn that she straps onto those corgis' heads. Yeah. And it makes the corgis battle <laughs> yeah, each other. Yeah, dude. I 100% believe yeah, that. Yeah, dude. They're blowing that wide open the next season of The Crown. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Great. And like we touched before, you know, bloodletting was a common practice. So I like to talk about two things. First, there was this drawing from an encyclopedic manuscript from the 15th century, and it showed what's called a vein man. And it details where and how to bleed a patient with each vein and how to bleed it depending on the affliction. And what really got me is there's a diagram showing cutting for the penis and testicles as well, which I was not aware of at the point in time, but... Well, about thumbs, that. thumbs down, Nate. Yeah. Thumbs up. No, no bueno. That's a thumbs down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Siskel and uh, Ebert? Ebert. Yeah. Is yeah. That what you're doing? <laughs> thumbs up. <laughs> no one knows that. that like is this movie. Everyone about that. No, okay, is that's dead. pretty gross, though. That's gnarly. <laughs> and you know, another form of bloodletting was leeches. Right. Isn't that like good again? There's medicinal leeches. Yeah. I mean, I leech, bro. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're actually. Leech therapy, you know, has been around since Egypt. 
and it was more expensive, so only royalty or the wealthy could really... Or George Washington. Yeah. They're the only ones that could really afford it at the time. And if you think about it, so the leech, it has three jaws. It does? Yeah. Oh, that's so gross. And it latches onto the skin, and it can suck up to 15 mLs of blood. 15? Yeah. Oh, wow. Every single word you just said is sexy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Three jaws. Yeah. It can (laughs) take a while. Yeah, it's kind of like a gormagon. (laughs) <laughs> oh, daddy! <laughs> Everybody calm down! <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Nathan's way too excited right now. And it also has an anesthetic in the saliva, so you don't really feel it as painless. However... That's nice. It's one flaw. Yeah. <laughs> just, just kidding. So, just kidding. I did see one article saying that... I. I didn't look further into this because I was afraid, but it said it's painless when it attaches on the outside. Oh no! <laughs> so I, that sounds bad. I stopped. I'm I like, like it. I don't want to go further with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, that seemed like a wise choice. Yeah. They also have a compound that can help prevent clotting, so that the the blood flows easier. And that compound, that protein, is actually something that they're looking into for maybe potential anti clot applications in like biomedical stuff. Yeah. Damn. It's called hyrudin. Did I pronounce that correctly? There you go. Yeah. Probably. I'm pretty sure that's a Naruto character, bro. <laughs> it is. Naruto! <laughs> but which one came first? That's the question. <laughs> I've never seen Naruto. <laughs> Have you never seen Naruto? <laughs> it, it did look good to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's surprising, because you've been naruto running your entire life. Yes. <laughs> Just not an athletic guy. Wait, wait, wait. Did you go to Area 51 for that, then? I woke up there <laughs> after being abducted, but I didn't run there. I see. Got it. So like you said, it is used nowadays. It's used to treat diabetic patients who are at risk of amputation because diabetic patients have poor circulation. Oh. So if you can prevent coagulation that increases blood flow to the limb, helps prevent amputations. It's also used for heart disease and cosmetic surgery. It's so sad how close they were to a good treatment for something, right? Like, mm-hmm. they had bloodletting in category A, and they knew what diabetes was in category B. Yeah. Right? But, like, bloodletting in category A was like, for witches! <laughs> and, like, diabetes in category B was like, execute them! <laughs> and, like, they were so close to just getting it right. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, though, because, like, one of them, it was a humor thing, right? Bloodletting right. is for the blood humor, and right. then, like, diabetes was probably, like, yellow bile or something. Yeah, so, yeah. And just, like, you know, it, it just didn't make oh, any sense. Man. It didn't match up. You gotta stop listening to, like, Greek dudes from 500, you know? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> We're right about everything. Not everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, they... I mean, they didn't even really figure out democracy. It lasted like 70 years. I know. You know, like, like... <laughs> Ooh, they tried, though. <laughs> they tried, though. They figured olive oil. Anyway, what are we talking about? Uh, medieval treatments. Yeah, medieval treatments. So they had another one where they crushed emeralds and they would mix it with their food or water. <laughs> so, so how, uh, where do you. Where doth one get emeralds from back then? Like, what? I, I don't even know where to get it now. <laughs> like, where do you get emeralds? Uh, Elon Musk had an emerald. <laughs> Elon Musk. <laughs> Elon Musk was not alive in 1300. Right, right, right. Calm down. Africa. <laughs> Africa. <laughs> they had emeralds. Bunch of emeralds. Oh man! Wow. So that was like an expensive person treatment, yeah. though, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that was uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow of treatment at the time. Nice, nice, dude. <laughs> It wasn't for the peasant tape. So this this one's my favorite treatment, just on the cringy level. This one's worse than the chicken butts? Yeah. Oh, boy. So another treatment was lancing buboes to drain them. Yeah, sure. So that's not the worst part. There's a paste they applied to it, and it was made of tree resin, lily root, and the best ingredient was human feces. Dude, you're speaking my language right now. Yeah, and then they would wrap it tightly onto the buboes. So I don't know who would die first. Like, would you die of the plague or are you just septic from- Just like poop. Yeah, and just die from the- Died of poop, says <laughs> the certificate. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was actually, I was watching a Vice documentary. Um, so basically poop medicine does not bother- I mean, I don't take poop medicine. Let me just say before I, I say what I'm about to say. But I was watching this Vice documentary about like, there's like three Korean doctors, I mean in the whole country of South Korea, who still do this. They ferment a little bit of poo to make a poo wine 
that is apparently supposed to have medicinal qualities. I say this merely to try to take away some of the stigma around poo wine. What in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I'm, ju- I'm just saying. Okay. Like early fecal transplants? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, which are great. I'm just saying that like using human poop in medicinal ways is like perturbingly a thing right, yes, that people yes. have done before. Uh, That's across what human civilization, people have liked to play with their duke. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but not play. This is professional. Uh, (laughs) Well, but everything comes from somewhere. You you gotta do what you love. I guess what I'm saying is I have a problem where you said they put poop on it. And I was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what else do you put on it? It's because you're too worldly is the problem. You're too well-traveled. I'm glad that was the problem. I thought that was going to go in a completely different direction there for a second. (laughs) Not at all. I swear to God, he said human poop. And I was like, reasonable. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't work. Any more than anything else we've talked about. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we're all dying of the plague, baby. Like, smears the poop on it. <laughs> like, like, try anything. I mean, they were throwing everything at the wall at that point in time. They were. Yeah. And last but not least is bathing or drinking, quote unquote, clean urine. Mm. What is clean urine? They didn't specify. Like clear? Like a well hydrated person? I don't know. They didn't specify. Maybe they it's probably a child's or something. Child's maybe they. Cleaned. I don't mean to be gross. It just probably was. There was a. Let's uh, make it worse. There was a girl in college. What? Who? <laughs> like Where's like in Europe. <laughs> uh, if it's actually what I think it is, it's 2008 Berkeley. Who passed out literature saying that urine was fine to drink? Boy. And I guess she passed out her number to you, huh? You learned a little more? I I know her number. <laughs> <laughs> you think I don't know this person? I know this person. <laughs> anyway, that's great. I'm not going to say her name. So that's <laughs> Nathan, no. That's probably for the best. <laughs> See, at least the things I say are facetious and silly. You just say things ripped from your life. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> no defense. I, I don't know. What to say I can't defend this girl. But God, okay. So you smear, you smear poop on the boobos. Yeah. You bathe in urine. Yeah. Yep. Um, bathe in it. I mean, and and you you take live chickens and you you rub your your boobos on it. Right. Yeah. Or snake meat. snake meat. And, and snakes. That was just the medicine. I mean, the religious aspect was prayer, fasting, religion processions, and of course, self-flagellating at the time. Yeah. In a rare twist of fate, praying probably worked better than some of that other stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. it probably had a higher survival rate than, yeah, the, yeah. than these shit. Please, doing. thoughts and prayers. All right. <laughs> Genius. So good. But, of course, the only effective treatment at the time was quarantine. Right. Which a lot of people did do. Yeah. Right? And I believe it started in Ragusa, a port city that had a mandatory 30-day yeah. isolation period for all boats. And that was effective. But other cities copied it. But they increased the time to 40 days with the law of quarantino. So that's where we get quarantine from, 40 days. Not 14 days like we do now? No. <laughs> no. Everything was very Christian back then, yeah. right? You had to do 40 days. Right? What, what does that have to do with anything? Number? Well, Jesus was in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, okay. You know what I think is so funny is how we're equally secular. And yet for some <laughs> reason, I know these things in Utah. I, I know some things. <laughs> uh, isn't Ragusa in the Adriatic? Was that like a Venetian city uh, in the modern Balkans? That sounds right um, to me. I'm not going to lie. I'm terrible at geography. Well, I, I think you're right. I, yeah. I, think, uh, I think I conquered them in a video game as well. Right. Why. That's, that's, but, uh, I agree with you from the well, same video game. Well, you know, I, I visited Ragusa once and you know what I got from there? Rugs. It's the birthplace of rugs. That's why it's called Ragusa. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> Sorry, well, that was terrible. We'll, we'll, we'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs> that was awful. Well, anyway, but yeah, we were talking about quarantines, though. <laughs> Quarantino. So it was 40 days, and was that, like, widely instituted in Europe at the time, or was that kind of piecemeal, like, some places had the wisdom to do, and some places were like, eh, whatever. I think it took time to really kick into effect. Like I said, Ragusa was the first one, and then other cities started to implement that. Right. And then, of course, you know, you had nobility that ran to the countryside, so they were practicing their own routine because they were away from right. everyone. The Decameron. Yeah. yeah. 
I feel like I remember reading once, which is to say no one will know if it's true. Uh, I feel like I remember reading once that Florence had like pretty raucous debates over quarantines or not, right? Like in a way that's kind of reminiscent of modern quarantine debates. In as much as some people were like, oh, quarantines are so economically disastrous. We don't really know the vector of this disease. And, you know, then they opened up and got it and then all died anyway. So, like, you know, I <laughs> get to get to relitigate that debate for yeah. another generation. Debate kind of petered out. Yeah, debate petered out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's pretty much all I have for treatments for the plague. Boom, awesome. Yeah. All right. So far, you know, it's so funny because when I used to teach this era, I, hell, I didn't even call it medieval at the time. I can't even remember what I called it anymore because I've gotten so used to calling it medieval again. But like a large part of my teaching was about destigmatizing the medieval period. You know, like the Renaissance, part of those goddamn Renaissance Italians project was belittling the prior historical phase. And a lot of my teaching was trying to roll that back and understand the various developments and kind of non-judgmental idiosyncrasies of that era. Yeah. And here we are. I'm a few years later. I've been a bartender a couple of years. And we're just crapping all over those folks. I feel they they guilty, got almost. some things right. Somewhere. Windmills. They developed windmills. That's a big one. Are you saying that we're weird or am I crazy? <laughs> are you saying that's the only thing that they created that was good? We just talked about quarantines. Quarantines are great. Yeah. Quarantino, huh? We're still using them today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nailed it. And like old English. That was good too. <laughs> that was God canning. Yeah. Yeah. But okay. Great. Well, that took a lot longer than we expected. Yeah, gee willikers, <laughs> folks. We did a lot of chatting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It turns out there is an incredible amount of miscellaneous garbage in the medieval era. Hold on. Who knew also, a lot of things happen in a thousand years? To be fair, also, we said a lot of garbage as well. Yeah, That's yeah. A It'll be edited times, down so. to 20 minutes. <laughs> right? It'll uh, be a uniquely short episode. We didn't even talk about the investiture crisis. Right? There's Uh, all sorts of biblical controversies. So many words. Yeah, (laughs) like that we haven't even talked about yet. But next episode, we're going straight into Gregory VII. Uh, And we're talking full Holy Roman Empire. What a dick. Oh my God, Gregory VII. Fat dick. He's he's a pope, right? Yeah. Nailed it. (laughs) Um, Anyway. Scientists know history. (laughs) Yeah. But basically, we are going to end an episode here. Yes. But then we're going to pick up next time. And we're basically going to do another one of these stories, you know, where we talk about the disease from that kind of time period. And then we're going to, you know, do a little bit about the treatments and everything like that. Nice. Yeah. Sound good? Well, that's the end of our show. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you come back for part two. As always, you can reach us at microbiales.com or send us an email at microbiales at gmail.com or find us on Twitter. And you can find Petri Dish at... On Twitter, at Dish Podcast, and you can email us at PetriDishPod at gmail.com. Bye. Bye, everybody. Woo! Bye.